All right, well, our lesson is called Encouraged. And it says, seeing changed lives encourages distressed hearts. And it's based on 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 4 through 13. Our memory verse is chapter 3, verse 12. And may the Lord cause you to increase and overflow with love for one another and for everyone, just as we do for you. So Paul had a question. He wanted to know if there was evidence of Christianity back there in Thessalonica. This was something he wanted to know about the church that he had had a brief encounter with, that he knew had a beginning, but he had to leave so quickly. And so as we spoke before, he sent Timothy, and Timothy had brought back a report that this brand new church was doing well. So Paul, like a parent separated from his children, just wanted to know more than just the picture that they were growing. He really wanted to know the details. He wanted to know if they had transformed. He wanted to know if these new Christians had developed into a church, what a church is supposed to be. So we know the church is the body of Christ, and it's not a building So we gather here in a building, but it's us, whether we're in a community, in someone's home, whenever two or more are gathered in his name, it's a collected group of transformed believers. And the Bible says the church is the bride of Christ. What a beautiful symbol, the beautiful bride in a wedding. We get to be symbolized in that beauty. That means that we're completely a prized possession of Jesus. He loves his church. The first churches were in homes and believers met regularly. We come together every week on Sunday and on Wednesday. We have been able to, the Lord has blessed us. We have been able to regather in person. That's a really big deal. They shared time, they shared meals, and they grappled with life. They just dealt with what was happening in the world together. As they got more organized, they appointed deacons to help care for the widows and the orphans. In Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 says, And let us consider how to stir stir up one another to love, and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as in the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So many times we read that verse and we think about the importance of the church and how it says that you should be together and and not just isolate like some, it says. But that last little piece, very notable, and all of and all the more as you see the day drawing near, the day of the Lord drawing near, as you see persecution, as life is becoming more of a struggle, is the more that we need each other. So the scripture encourages the togetherness of the saints and particularly addresses the need being greater as God's return becomes sooner. The early church was persecuted, and they kept a watchful eye out for Jesus' return. They thought that he was coming any time. So they lived 
in the readiness that we should also. Maybe you're also a student of the word and you believe that we are in the end times. So then what did Paul consider a healthy church? Well, in Acts 2.42, it says that they devoted themselves, as far as the apostles, to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. So they were Baptists. That's important. We're on the high list. We all do that. That's a Baptist thing. And then in Matthew 18, 20, it says where two or more are gathered. So it doesn't matter what the size is. He says, I'll be with them. So you can have a little house church. And that's how the church is all started. In Colossians 3, verse 16, it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in wisdom. And it says, Sing songs of the psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And be thankful. So is that what we're going to do today? We're going to have praise and worship. And we're going to lift our hearts up. And we're going to sing to our Lord. It is a time that we gather to worship. The church is to gather and worship. That's our job on earth is to worship God. Ephesians 4 verses 11 through 12 says he gave the apostles, he gave prophets, he gave evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. And the job of those people is to equip the saints for the work of ministry and for the building up of the body of Christ. Another synonym for the church is the body of Christ. Beautiful pictures, the bride in all of her glory and then the body of the Savior himself considering himself part of what we do as the head of the church, as a direction of the church. Ephesians 5.19 says we are to address one another in spiritual songs. We've already talked about that. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Romans 12.10 says love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. I love the end of that verse, outdo one another in showing honor. So this would be the place where you can come into the body of Christ, where you can come and be honored, not in a prideful way, but be honored to the place that God has put you in, to the position of being a fellow human that deserves love. And the body of Christ, the church is one of those places the place where you can be loved just for who you are. Not because you did something special, but just because of who you are, that God created you, and you're special all in that. That's a beautiful picture. Just to be honored is a beautiful picture. In Galatians 6, 2 says that we're supposed to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We're also supposed to share our burdens like we did in the prayer request today. It's not all easy. That's why we want to gather even more in the days of the Lord when he's coming back, when the times are hard. We need each other. We need to gather together. One thing that people tend to do when things are going wrong is they want to isolate. I lost my job. I'm just going to stay in this corner, and I don't want anybody to know And then they drift away from the people who could actually love them and take care of them. We need to draw closer when we have adversity 
and not try to pull away to isolation. That's not how God designed us. He designed us to be with people. So the attributes of a great church are evangelism, discipleship, sound doctrine, holiness, worship, discipline, prayer, giving. We have a lot to do. That's why it's important for us to come every week. The world is looking for all those things. And yet, as much as social media seems like it should be something that draws people together, it actually isolates people. It gives them a false sense of being with people. They're just looking at pictures. They're not actually talking. They're, they're not actually able to communicate. I was speaking to someone yesterday. I had a conference at work, and I was speaking to someone. I said, I still, in my childbirth classes, have to teach the young people how to talk to each other. <laughs> they know how to text. <laughs> but I need to teach them how to talk to their baby in the voice to use and how to talk to a woman in pain when she's having a baby. I have to actually teach that as a skill. <laughs> and I work on that because the last thing somebody needs in labor is somebody screaming or laughing and cutting up in the corner. There needs to be a focus. And then I also teach them how to touch one another and how to provide pain relief. So we need to be able to pass that out into our world. And social media can't do that. It's in-person relationships that does that. So we're going to start with our first passage this morning. is 1 Thessalonians 3, verses 4 and 5. In fact, when we were with you, we told you in advance that we were going to experience affliction. And as you know, it happened. For this reason, when I could no longer stand it, I also sent him to find out about your faith, fearing that the tempter had tempted you and that our labor might be for nothing. Thank you. <clears throat> so Paul reminds that, reminds that he warned the new church that he created, that, that God created in Thessalonica, that there's going to be persecution. So it's one of the things that I think a church has to do. Sound doctrine demands that the truth be told. So you can't just tell people God is love and, and leave it just with, uh, with the things that we all need to hear. God is good and loving and kind. All that's important. But he also, because he is good and loving and kind, demands justice. And there is judgment. And there is going to be an end. And people aren't going to have forever to allow the world to deteriorate. There will come a time of justice. And so we do need to understand also that there is pushback in this world, that there is an adversary. And the adversary is Satan. And he also is someone we need to know about from church because we need to be able to be ready, like the pastor has been teaching us, to put on the full armor of God and be ready to face persecution. Jesus gave an Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24 and 25 where he prepared his followers for persecution. So if Jesus spent time on his earthly ministry preparing for persecution, then our church also, our Sunday school lessons, our preacher time also has to have that element of education as well. So whatever Jesus' priorities are, that's what our priorities are. So Paul admits that he had great fear that the tempter who had tempted the church could 
caused the church to have chaos, that things could go wrong. And, and again, he was expressing the emotion of a parent. Aren't you like that too? Like you raise your kids or you raise your grandchildren or you do whatever you're doing and you don't want anything to come along and snatch their attention. And I mean, isn't it just the worst fear to think that they may go to a party and partake of some drug and then for the rest of their life be addicted to drugs because drugs are that brain-changing. I mean, those are just horrific things that happen to parents all the time. Paul was like that kind of a parent. What possibly could the tempter do? We tend to give either too much power to Satan or not enough for us to understand he's a true enemy. Satan cannot steal your salvation. That's important. Let's say that again. He cannot steal your salvation. He cannot steal you from God. Romans 8.28 says nothing can separate us from the love of God. That's a promise. But he does cause chaos in our lives on earth. And he has caused plenty of chaos in the church. There are plenty of churches that have gone through terrible, terrible periods of conflict. And, you know, we said where two or more are gathered in my name, Jesus said he'll be there. But also where two or more are gathered anywhere there is conflict. It's just a normal part of the human relationships. Don Stewart, in his commentary in the Blue Letter Bible, says that it's important to understand our adversary. First of all, he is not the opposite of God. He doesn't just have, as God is all this, the same powers in the negative, that he can do the same things as the bad guy. He doesn't have that. He doesn't have unlimited power, and God does. He is a created creature that fell from heaven due to being disobedient. He cannot be everywhere at the same time, but God can. He does not know everything. God does. He cannot tempt without God's permission. He can't influence nature without God's permission. He can't cause physical harm without permission. He can't kill without God's permission. God stopped him from killing Job. He said, don't take his life. He cannot touch without God's permission. He can't even mention the name of believers without permission. He can't read our thoughts. He doesn't know the future, and he doesn't know what we dreamed. He is a coward. Believers are ultimately victorious. We got the end of the story. 2 Corinthians 2.14 says, Thanks be unto God who always leads us in triumph and makes manifest through us the Savior of his knowledge in every place. God and Satan are not two equals. All power and authority belongs to God but Satan is evil, and he is someone to understand is to be dealt with. He will come against your family. He slanders God. He seeks to devour, and he attacks Israel. He tried to have Jesus killed as an infant, and he has an army of demons. He is a prince of the sin of a, of a whole army. He's considered the prince of the power of the air. I always think about that one. I think about TV waves coming in and some of the stuff that comes on that. Ephesians 2, verses 2 and 3. So Paul understood the adversary. And if we do, then we too will be appreciative of the need to pray for new Christians and for new churches and for each of us as we face Satan. 
James 4, verses 7 and 8 says, Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and God will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So have you realized how less touchable you are by the tempter? If you've just been in Bible study, if you've just been in prayer, if you've had fellowship with believers... As we draw close to God, the fence of his presence comes around us, and we get a reprieve from the demonic attack. But just as we join in worldly activity, so you come down from the mountaintop from the mission trip, and you come back into world activities, you become vulnerable again. So while you're in the midst of being just truly in the activities of God, sometimes you feel more protected. Your mind is more focused on God and you don't feel as much of an attack by the, the, the enemy. Not that you couldn't be, but it's just a, a place where as we draw closer to God, we are more able to draw on our spiritual resources that God has given us. So we begin to identify with evil as we recognize the worldly priorities we begin to merge into them. We are like the frog in the water that they say will just, I don't think he would, I think he would just jump out, but we are like that. We just become gradually paralyzed um, with all of the sin and all of the compromise and all of the, the concepts that people consider normal now that we know certainly aren't. They're not biblical. But what happens when we completely get too far away from God, the enemy really can attack us, and we begin to actually leave church. We leave our communion with believers, and we serve the wrong master. We have no witness coming to us, and it becomes distressful. Um, to like, like me as a Sunday school teacher, when I see someone who missed three or four Sundays, and then it's three months, and then when you talk to them, they've, they've rebuilt a new structure, and they're not, it's not a priority anymore to come and study God's Word. And you know that's not good for them, but the, the world begins to change us, and the enemy begins to just seek and, and just provide destruction. And so Paul was worried that that was going to happen to the Thessalonica church, and he admits it in those verses. So our next verses, um, chapter 3, verse 6 through 10, we'll read now. But now Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news about your faith and love. He reported that you always have good memories of us and that you long to see us as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and affliction, we were encouraged about you through your faith. For now we live if you stand firm in the Lord. How can we thank God for you in return for all the joy we experience before our God because of you, as we pray very earnestly night and day to see you face to face and to complete what is lacking in your faith? Thank you. So Paul got really good news about the church, and that good news allowed him, he said it allowed him life. It actually just caused him joy and he felt like he could live because he found out that they were okay i mean you you felt that as a parent when you you know things are okay with that child that that's been having a hard time whatever that loved one is that's been suffering whenever you feel go through something with somebody and you find out that they're on the other side it's just that's how he felt 
It said that it gave him strength to stand firm, and he was thankful and felt joy to be able to live knowing, okay, God, you got that one. And it was affirming of his faith. So we get affirmation of our faith as we see the transformation of believers around us, of people that we know love the Lord. So not only is it important for us to come and be gathered as a body of believers, but then also to stay connected to the big body of believers out in our workplaces, in the places that we connect in society and into where our family members are spread out. We need to be able to feel that the church is surviving and successful and and that in Ukraine they're getting what they need and that the church is ministering there. And it brings us life. It brings us joy. It brings us just what we need to stand firm. We are thankful. And so Paul said, I just have to pray for you then. And that wasn't just the last thing. So many times there's lots of comments when the world is going down the tube nowadays People used to admire that people would say that they were were praying, they were sending their thoughts and prayers. But a lot in the recent years, there's been a lot of pushback on that. Well, I don't need just your thoughts and prayers. And they're saying they want some action, they want more tangible, they want the, the physical being, they want you to come and reach and touch. But it is dismissive to say, that thoughts and prayers are not a good thing, because they are. And I think all of us understand that they are mighty and supernatural. It's the best thing that you could possibly do for anyone. So the society that doesn't know Jesus, though, doesn't understand that. And you just you hear that from them at podiums and people saying things like that. But Paul said this brought him to prayer, and he said a prayer for the church, And he said that prayer should be earnest, which means sincere, coming from conviction. Like, I know how important this is, and so it's going to be a priority in my life. That the church, the successful church, is the most important thing. Because remember, the church is the body of Christ on earth. In this kingdom of God on earth, the church is the body of Christ. It's the living organism. It's Jesus You're all Jesus. We're all Jesus out there in the world interacting. And he said that it was important to pray night and day. He also wanted to come back to teach them. So it didn't take away that he still wanted them to grow. I mean, he knew that they still have to mature and that they need to get better. So the Great Commission says we are to teach them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always even to the ends of the earth. So we get it. Someone had already preached, that was Paul, and there's a church. And then someone had begun the teaching. First of all, they went. They went out. They they did the go ye. Then they did the preaching. Then they did the teaching. And so all of that had been taken care of. But there would be always the need for more preaching and more teaching. And we get all the great letters of Paul out of his teaching ministry. So we have all of these books in the Bible, these great letters that teach us as a church body too because Paul prioritized that need to be a teacher. He wanted us to understand and and God was just expressing through the Holy Spirit so much for him to share with us 
because he knew that the church of Midwood Baptist Church would also need to gather and have this this important message today. So we need to teach the new church, all churches. We need to teach the new Christian and all Christians. We are taught by gathering and opening up the scripture together. And we learn from one another. I'm always amazed when I'm in Bible study. Not in Bible study every week, but this last year, I changed from being in the women's Bible study to teaching a school program I'm the children's supervisor for Bible Study Fellowship. And so we have, we have a young group of children, and then we have teenagers. Those teenagers are smarter than every, any one of those ladies that I meet with on Friday morning when it comes to answering those questions because they've been in this study for all of their lives, and they've learned how to really parse the Scripture. But whether it's women's group or the school program, and I'm listening to their answers I did the same lesson, and I'm so amazed at the answer that this one got and the answer that this one got. Not that they're that different, but sometimes the Lord will just give them a little piece that I didn't pick up, and I can learn from them. So we minister to one another when we study the Word and when we share with one another, when we talk to one another. So then, what does it look like to be involved in other people's lives in the church? Because that's another thing he said was needing. So a new members class in a lot of churches helps a new person come in and learn the church stuff. Can you imagine how it must be to come into the South and you never heard of Jesus and then be witnessed to and, and you come to Christ, but you don't know the church words? And you don't know about communion, and you don't know what it means when he says, take this cup, and this is my body, and you don't understand all of that. You have to learn those. And we teach those for, for our, in our homes with our little children, but when somebody comes to Christ as a 30-year-old that never heard of those things, you have to start all the way there, and there has to be a plan. So if there's not a class in the church, then a person needs a friend. They need a church interpreter to come alongside. And so as a church body, that's our job is to come alongside each other. And the person that joins our body, our church, needs other members to reach out and make friends with them. A new Christian needs to come to Sunday school. We need all work to try to get some of those new members to join us in Sunday school because this is where they can learn the Word of God. They can have a little bit more time to parse out the words and to look at the concepts than just a sermon. Both are necessary, really, for growing. We need to worship and we need to be have the Word of God preached to us. We also need to just be like studiers of the Word where we took our quarterly and we looked at it and we, we're all looking at it and learning together. So that's how the person that's a new person, a new church member or a new church, learns how to serve God. That's how they learn how to worship God, and that's how they learn how to pray. So are we guilty, then, of not having a plan that actually mentors new Christians as they come? Because I was looking at the statistic. It's not great how many people come and join a church, and then they never come back. Did they just have a moment, an emotional moment, and they joined us, and then they slip away, and we don't regather them in? But if they don't know how to be part of the church, if they don't know they need to eat the word, they don't understand how that's going to be what grows them, and they don't have 
the friendships and the fellowship and they haven't been ministered to, they might not have the attraction to continue coming back to this building. They need the church to come alongside of them. But that's what Sunday school does just besides teaching. Sunday school allows you to get close to people so that you can get to know the people you're going to church with. Sitting beside them in the worship service doesn't help with that. Right, and so that, if but we have to get them here and we, we have to reach out to them. Thank you, Diane, for sharing that. That's exactly right. So we have to think as a new person comes and they join our church. Now, who is going to take responsibility for reaching out to that person and pulling them in? I know Miss Irvie has done that many times. I've seen her do that. But we have to understand the church is stronger as a body than each of us is individually. And we need to grow our body. We need to help people mature and become part of our body your love will grow and then we will have koinonia fellowship i love that word koinonia the idea of the loving agape love fellowship the gathering because we love each other if you love as jesus loved then you're not going to let your new babies just sit over in the corner by themselves it's going to nurture them those are babies in christ you would never put a baby down and just say, go take care of yourself and feed yourself and we'll see you next week. Little babies need to be taken care of. And we, we come along and we pick them up and we show them things and we take care of their needs. And we're going to have to be a lot more thoughtful about how we fulfill the Great Commission because it's one thing to get them saved, but once they're saved, they have to be nurtured. And that's really where Paul's heart was in this portion. So we come to our last portion then, which is 1 Thessalonians 3, verses 11 through 13. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord cause you to increase and overflow with love for one another and for everyone, just as we do for you. May he make your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Amen. So he ends by sharing spiritual gift of prayer. This is a beautiful prayer. This is one of those prayers that you could take and pray for Midwood. So many times, pray in Scripture. You know you're praying the will of the Father if it's in the Scripture, right? We always want to pray. The, we want to have the heart of God. And we want to pray in His will. So you know you're going to be praying in His will when you pray Scripture. And so we see then that... Paul really wanted to give us a powerful prayer. And he had just dedicated himself to these people, even though he was far away, but he said, I'm dedicated to pray for you. I know you can pray all day. I know you can do the one sentences, prayers, the quick prayers. But do you have a a special time of prayer? Do you have a sweet hour of prayer? Do you have a time that you dedicate to prayer? you have a prayer closet or a place in the garden or a spot that you go to or a place where you keep the prayer requests? Do you, do you have an organized thought process for prayer? The saints that have the prayer closets in the early morning times or the late in the evening times are supporting the church. We all can do that. But I do think it needs to be more mindful sometimes than just the quick catch prayers all day. I think the Holy Spirit reminds us to pray, and we need to pray regularly. 
but we need to pray. We need to have a dedication to prayer. Paul says, May the Lord our God cause you to increase and overflow with love for one another and for everyone. He said, just as we do for you. Pray for abundant love. They will know we are Christians by our love. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, your neighbor as yourself. That's good news. A right relationship with God creates an outflow of love. That's what creates us the ability to love one another. We can love our neighbor. Loving your neighbor is not always easy. Maybe you don't like your neighbor. You need to really work then even harder to love them. The Bible says that Christians should be known for how they love one another. What a prayer. Can you pray that for our church, that we would just be known for how we love one another? I think that's one thing that even the most secular people in this community do know about Midwood. I think they know we're very loving. When we've met them in the park and when we've had things where they've come to our our events, we've been very loving to them. The people that come to the preschool know that we have overflowing love. And then Paul says, pray for the hearts that are blame that the hearts will be blameless in holiness before the God of Father at the coming of Jesus. So it kind of circles us back to where we began. The early church was a persecuted church and they were looking for Jesus. And if you're looking for Jesus to come back at any time, you want to be in a picture of readiness and a heart that's blameless is a picture of readiness, meaning that you've been redeemed, you've been saved by Jesus himself taking our sin on the cross. The Bible shows a picture of ten virgins that were preparing for the bridegroom to come, and they, five of them took, got some extra oil purchased it, got everything ready, and and were ready. And then five of them just took their lamps, but they didn't get any oil. And then it was suddenly time. The bridegroom was delayed, but he finally came. And and the five that didn't have any oil wanted to borrow from the five who had the oil. And they said, no, 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 we don't want to miss this. We've been waiting all this time. We're going to go on in. And so they went on in, and the five were left out. And so many times when we look at that picture, we think that that picture of readiness means that you have to be like the most perfect, doing everything perfect at the end. But the oil represented their salvation. The oil is the Holy Spirit. That is what will cause us to be ready for the bridegroom. We do want to be ready. We want to be not ashamed. We want to be working for the kingdom. But when you are saved, you're ready. You just want to be diligently helping other people be ready so that they can also have oil for their lamps. So the picture of readiness, hearts that are focused on Christ, blameless because we're redeemed, causes us to pray for an increase in love and holiness for our church so that we can totally influence other people. So I hope that as we have looked at what Paul thought the church would look like, as we've looked at how We should pray for one another that we can then come to the Lord here at the end as this for Midwood. So let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for this 
word that you have placed on our hearts today. We thank you for the ministry of Paul. We thank you that he had a heart for your body, the church. We thank you for the image that we are your bride, that you are part of our body, that you are the head of the church, is also a beautiful image for us, Lord. So we pray the same prayer Paul prayed, that you would increase and overflow our love for one another, and that you would make us blameless, Lord, and ready for your return. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. I agree. You had to say that.